Welcome to the Jerusalem Lights Podcast with Rabbi Chaim Richman, whose goal is Torah for everyone. I'm your co-host, Jim Long, and now, Rabbi Chaim Richman. Shalom, Jim. Shalom to all of our listeners. Happy post-Purim, postpartum, post-Purim. That's easy for you to say, Rabbi. (laughs) Shalom and hello. There was a big party in the Richmond enclave for the uh for Purim, or was it a very the Richmond, you know? the Richmond enclave was was, a, was a fairly subdued mm-hmm. um well first of all when when shushan Purim falls on a friday it's uh it's more complicated you know with yeah. um, getting ready for shabbat and uh, uh, i'm also in my year of mourning for my my father of that's right. memory and yeah. even though there is no public mourning on purim um, because, um, you know, we, the mourner also celebrates Purim, but still, you know, there is a certain kind of, um, definitely impacts uh, one's, um, one's feelings. That's natural. And third of all, you know, that on, on the Friday, actually closer to Shabbat, um, on Purim day here in Jerusalem, we received the news of the, the passing of Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky, who was... Yeah, I understand the funeral almost shut down Tel Aviv. Something like three quarters of a million people. I think the biggest Incredible. funeral in Israel's, in Israel's history. Um, but yes, Purim was, was, was very beautiful, very, very full of meaning. And I was thinking about something also, Jim. I think it was just around Purim or the day after Purim. So I read this news item, and the news item is Thomas Nides. Is that, am I pronouncing the name correctly? N-I-D-E-S, who is the United States ambassador to Israel. I'm not, I'm not familiar with him. Okay. We haven't, well, we haven't, by, we haven't met. <laughs> okay. Well, he, is, he was, the, he was the, um, the confirmed United States ambassador to Israel for the Biden administration. And he made a statement that was in the news statement was, and I quote, that, that he said uh, regarding settlement construction There's in the word. West Bank, <laughs> regarding settlement construction in the West Bank and Jerusalem, he said that he was infuriated and it's stupid. <laughs> okay. So, so first of all, you know, it's quite ironic to me and infuriating, if I could say, or aggravating that that someone um, thinks that it's infuriating that my children are living in what he calls the West Bank, which of course is the heart of the land of Israel, that I also have a home. My, actually, my home in Jerusalem is uh, also not recognized by uh, the State Department. It was in the Trump administration, but they rolled all of that back. And so now Jerusalem is once again not recognized by the United States and certainly not Judea and Samaria, but the, but the idea to me, really the gall, the chutzpah, the audacity of, of the United States ambassador to Israel saying it's stupid, it's stupid. He decided, he decided that it's stupid for Jews to be able to build homes in the Jewish country, the Jewish land and live yeah. there. Uh-huh. And, and this is the thing though, Jim, open up your heart in the deepest way. This is why I, I brought this up now is because we're talking about post- Post-Purim, partum, postpartum, Purim. We're talking about Purim. And I just re- was reading this and 
and I thought it was just of such a interesting choice of words because, you know, uh, he could express himself however he likes, but he just, he he used this very very kind of specific word that he he found it infuriating, infuriating settlement construction, and so I could only help, I could not help myself, but but immediately think of this verse in the scroll of Esther that we just read in chapter three, as soon as Haman is introduced to us in chapter three. So it, uh, the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordechai, why do you disobey the king's command? The king made a command when he, when he uh, exalted Haman that everybody should bow down before him. And Mordechai wouldn't. Now it happened when they said this to him day after day and he did not heed, heed them. They told Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would prevail for he had told him he was a Jew. And then verse five, when Haman himself saw that Mordecai did not bow down and prostrate himself before him, Haman was filled with wrath. And the Hebrew word is chema. This is not the ordinary word that the Torah uses for anger. Yeah. Right. He was filled with wrath. In other words, he was infuriated. <laughs> so I couldn't help but think to myself about Haman being infuriated because when the when the scroll of Esther tells us that Haman was infuriated. Yeah. Haman He was he was infuriated to see that Mordechai did not budge and did not move and did not genuflect in front of him. Basically, what that is saying, and then in fact, in fact, Haman found out that Mordechai is a Jew and he decided this is not enough for me to deal with this one person. I want to get rid of all of them. But what Haman's problem was, was that there was a Jew in the world altogether. Yeah. That was really the problem. And so, and so now I'm not, I'm not asking Thomas Nides to provide me with DNA reports of who he's descended from, but the, but the fact <laughs> is, I just think, I just think it's amazing right after Purim to, to read this the, the man says that it's infuriating that Jews are building houses. It's yeah. In other words, when he when when Haman saw that Mordechai would not bow down and not move in front of him, he was infuriated. And when and when Thomas saw, who by the way is an extension of the Biden administration, when he saw that Jews are not are not flinching, but they're still here and they and they're not bowing down to 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 America's brand of what they should be, but they're building homes. And he finds that unacceptable. Do I do I tell you what's unacceptable for where an American could live in America? The whole thing is it, just so incredibly, if I may say, infuriating. And then at the same time, what's going? What's another major news story? Another major news story is that the United States is mulling over. Uh, it's a it's a reported United States intention to delist Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps as a terror group. In other words, the Trump yeah. administration had recognized Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard as a terror group. The United States, is, they, they floated this idea, right? They advanced this idea that they are thinking very seriously of, of exonerating Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard and not calling it a terror group anymore. Why? continues the, the news item, as a final step in the negotiations to revive the Iran nuclear agreements. Ouch. This is so unbelievable. I mean, I, I don't need the Biden administration to yes or no recognize the IRGC as a terror organization with significant reach, by the way. And, I, and I'm sure that Israel will continue to treat it as such, regardless as any decision made by the Biden administration. But here, once again, 
the the concept of uh, Iran, um, which is the extension of of uh, the Purim story, is not something that is idiosyncratically relevant only to the state of Israel and the Jewish people. Iran is an incredible danger. On a global level, uh, whatever, what could I tell you? What yeah. could I tell you? But I mean, it, it's all just, you can't make this stuff up. In the spirit of, of Purim, it seems, uh, you know, since uh, uh, Haman at the end of the, the uh, Purim narrative, he is revealed, he is unmasked to show his real colors to the king. So it seems like that God has done the same thing is unmasking and revealing the, the people in these powers, these positions of power to show their true colors. You know, it seems like the poor ambassador, it just he's in such rage. He, he sounds very inarticulate for an ambassador. Yes. First of all, it's it's uh, presumptuous, it's arrogant and it's dismissive. Yeah. For an ambassador representing a world power like America to personalize something as if he's in kindergarten and in some sort of a of a, a spat, you know, between kids, I find it infuriating. What does it have to do with how you find it? What, how, yeah. Who are you to feel that that the needs of a, of a, of a country of, of, of millions of people is infuriating to you? In other words, we're not we're not towing the line. We're not playing the game. We're not listening to what you say we have to do to uh, accommodate your ridiculous false vision yeah. of peace. Sounds like cocktail party chatter is he wants to yeah. make sure that all of his friends know up front uh, ne next time he sees them before they see him at a party in, in DC or someplace that you, you have to know exactly where I stand with these terrible people in Israel. I want to talk about the, the beautiful uh, Torah, beautiful, evocative, important and, and, um, powerful Torah portion of this week. And I want to talk about the fact that this is also one of the four special Shabbatot, one of the four special Sabbaths that precede Passover. This Sabbath that's coming up this week is Parshat Parah, March 26th. This Shabbat this week is the 23rd of Adar, and it is the, the Sabbath of the special Torah reading of the Parah Aduma, the red heifer. So we're going to be talking about that. But I want to, I want to say one more thing, Jim, in the, in the realm of what could be relegated to current events. You know, there's terrible violence rocking the United States. You know, civil, not civil, there's terrible, terrible domestic violence and, 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 and crime in the United States. Right. I'm not talking at the moment about the, the war in Ukraine. I'm talking specifically in New York. Yeah. Are you following the news of what's going on in New York? The senseless, incredible acts of violence that are just one step below cannibalism, the way that people are just pushing people in front of train tracks and slashing them and doing incredible things, random acts yeah. all over the place. It's just like un unbelievable what's going on. Right. So I want to mentioned that and I and I want to mention it in the same in, in the same breath but it's not at all the same but I, I want to ho hold that thought for a minute and I want to mention that that um, yesterday yesterday here in Israel yesterday Tuesday March 22nd um, four people were murdered uh, four Jews were murdered oh this is uh, Beersheba in Beersheba in, yeah. in Israel right yeah um, oh, a 49 year old mother of three a 43-year-old mother of three, Doris Yehabas, Laura Yitzchak, also Rabbi Moshe Kravitsky, Chabad Rabbi, a father of four, and a 67-year-old man, Menachem Yecheskel, and the 34-year-old Palestinian 
uh, murderer um, uh, from a Bedouin town in the Negev uh, had actually previously served four years in prison for plotting to join the fundamentalist Islamic State terror group in Syria. And he was released in 2019. And the judge said that he expressed sincere remorse. <laughs> Okay, and so he was released, even though it had already been established that he was a um, a supporter of Islamic State terror. Yeah. So he was released. He was released because he express, expressed his remorse, and I guess this was this act of the murder of four Jews was a manifestation of his tremendous remorse. The, the, and so I just began by by bemoaning the terrible violence that's shaking New York, for example, and I know in other places as well, and uh, it's terrible and um, it's senseless, but there's still a difference between that kind of violence and the terror that Israel faces on a daily level when people are murdered for no reason other than the fact that they are Jews. And I think that when someone like Thomas Nides comes along and expresses his, you know, his personal feelings that he thinks that the, that Jews having the audacity to build homes in the land of Israel is infuriating. I think that the blood is on his hands. Come and get yeah. me with your thought police for for whoever's listening for saying such a thing. But what do you think? What what do you think you're you're saying about Jewish presence in the land of Israel when you are so totally? Um, you know, <clears throat> against Jewish sovereignty and and basically questioning the the right of Jewish people to to exist, just like Haman. I, I think it would be really very appropriate for someone with a, a news microphone and a camera to confront him and say, "By the way, what is your opinion of what just happened in Beersheba?" America already uh, issued statements like it's abhorrent and uh, something even stronger. Someone said something like this has got to stop. Anyway, Jim, I don't like to uh, to, um, you know, sound as if I am speaking ill of people. I am very, very careful about that. But, um, you know, this is not about Lashon Hara. This is about standing up for the honor of uh, the God of Israel, basically, which is what the manifest, which is manifested by the Jewish people living in the land of Israel. And so, and so I don't consider this, you know, that I am um, defaming the character of the United States ambassador to Israel. I consider this, that I am basically um, standing up against evil, against the evil that's being perpetrated to the Jewish people in, the, in their own land. I don't think it's anything of that nature. I think what you're doing is you're you're helping us to, you know, keep an eye on these people who are in places of power and just reminding us of, of what their state of mind is, uh, you know, a little unhealthy. I mean, here's the thing. Uh, when you read that statement, it makes me think of what uh, Hazal tell us about anger, and that is that anger is likened to idolatry. Mm -hmm. So apparently he's worshiping, worshiping a, a, yeah. at an altar of ideology yeah, it's that a, has it's nothing. It's a very strange sense of. Yeah. Very strange choice of words. Yeah. So for me or for me? <laughs> no, for him, for him. No, you're, you're, <laughs> okay. you're, you're expressing yourself quite well today. Thank you. All oh, right. man. So, so you know that this is the last week of the month of Adar, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and actually next week is, I'm sorry, next week is the last week of the month of Adar. And 
next Shabbat is already going to be Rosh Chodesh Nisan. In fact, this Shabbat, the 26th of March, is the Sabbath of blessing the new moon. And as I said, it is a special Sabbath in terms of the fact that there are four you know, special, special, specially marked um, Sabbaths that precede Passover. And the one that precedes the new month of Nisan is called Parshat Para, the Sabbath of the, of the red heifer, because the additional reading, the maftir, is taken from Numbers 19, the concept of the chok, the ordinance of the red heifer, the reason that we read about that prior to Passover, prior to Rosh Chodesh Nisan, in, in, uh, is it, first of all, as kind of as a remembrance uh, for temple times, because before uh, the Aliyah Lerego, before the massive um, uh, pilgrimage of, of all of Israel up to the Holy Temple for the Passover offering, there's a necessity for the Israelites to purify themselves through the ashes of the red heifer. Amen. So yeah. that is a, a, a major step in the preparation for Passover, as we have learned about many, many times, the whole concept of purification through the ashes of the red heifer. And of course, we know um, and the idea of the para aduma, the red heifer, is basically synonymous with the whole idea of Torah um, being something that is not always... Um, within our grasp to understand. There are aspects of Hashem's decrees. There are aspects of divine divine law that are beyond the scope of human comprehension to ever understand. And the and the in the eyes of Chazal, in the eyes of our sages, the the epitome of the concept of chok, which is a decree that is beyond human understanding, is the red heifer, something that is absolutely uh, a mystery. It also has a certain paradoxical element because the very same solution of the ashes of the red heifer and the living water and the cedar and the hyssop that we read about in Numbers 19, which renders a person who had become impure through exposure to death, which renders him pure. So then, so the one who is performing the ceremony for the one who is impure, he is rendered impure right. by yeah. the same thing and other aspects of paradox as well. And uh, of course, on many levels of deep symbolism and uh, mystical understanding, there's much to say about it, but on the most basic and important level of, of understanding, regarding a law, which is a chok, a divine decree, Hashem tells us in advance, listen, uh, this is not something that you're going to understand in this world. It's my commandment and you are to fulfill it because I said so. Really brings home the idea that, that this is the whole of Torah. This embodies the the people at Sinai and how they wholeheartedly embraced every all of Torah. It's such an unbelievable statement of faith. We mm -hmm. will do and we will obey what you're right. saying because because especially today when there's never been a time in human history that we know of certainly that um, we're, we're we're in knowledge and information was so readily available to so many people instantaneously. So it's like, you know, and, and I never tire of talking about this just because it's of the nostalgia aspect of it. But, you, you, you know, when we were kids, it was a very big deal to have a school project and go to the library and do independent research and even sure. make stuff up. Who knew? You know, <laughs> make stuff up. Who, the teacher couldn't check and, and all sorts of things. And, and, and it, was, it was a whole different world of um, 
some things that it might take you a long time to find out and some things that even your elders and people that you're respecting, you just don't know the answer to because it might be a specialized field of knowledge. And there is just a lot of things in this world that it added a lot to the mystery. It added a lot to the whole enigmatic idea of, of growing up, you know, that there, there's stuff that people don't know. And now we are bombarded constantly by information all the time you know, you have this thing in your pocket. Most people have a thing in your pocket, which basically gives you access to all in all knowledge in the world. Now, if people use it for most of the time to look at pictures of funny cats or food or to, ar- or to argue <laughs> with people that they've never met and never will met over things like pictures of funny cats or something like that, that's a different story. That's their business. Right. But theoretically, with that device, you can know almost anything. And so... And so that changes the dynamic of human interaction, human experience, and our capacity, and, and the way that we look at ourselves, because we are basically uh, in a completely different place. But enter the red heifer with this resounding reminder of our frailty, our vulnerability, the limitations of our humanity, and the greatness of faith and understanding that Hashem is the eternal endless king and that we are his subjects. And as such, we were created to know him as best we can, to serve him, to emulate him, to bring good into the world. But we can't know everything. So like, deal with it. Deal with it. You, you, No, you can't know everything. It's not, you're not going to know everything in this lifetime, but that's okay. It's a tremendous intellectual challenge today to people who who like to think that all of us we like to think that we've come to a place on the planet where we have we've elevated ourselves to a place where we're be, where we think we're beyond many things and then when we talk about offering animals and about burning up an animal and about spilling its blood i i think that's one of this again is very much a part of you mentioning that it's you know this this hook that it's something that we, we we accept without question. How many people can read this parsha today, and the previous ones, and even read about the the Paraduma and and get over the part that we're you know we're uh, slaughtering an animal as part of a uh, a connection that actually brings us closer to Hashem. And the science of which we, we need to study and right. we do. And we've there is science it. there. Uh, yeah. uh, the, the, the science of how it brings one closer is something that needs to be understood. But the point is, like you say, you know, this is basically a dividing line. I call this every year the Vayikra challenge mm-hmm. because, the, because one's um, reaction to Hashem commanding us to bring offerings in the temple is basically what's going to separate uh, men from boys in terms of, I mean, I use that broadly in terms of whether or not we really are ready to commit ourselves to, to Hashem because it is because people want to feel that they're in control also intellectually, that they, that they're, that they understand everything. And uh, that's not really reflective of the reality of what it means to be a a human being. This is even how the Parsha is, is wrapped up. It is how yes, it finishes. Exactly. Exactly. This is, Half of the parsha is about the rules of kashrut. Right. 
And the rule uh, is this where you're going? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, the, and the the fact is, like here here we're talking about the red heifer, which is this incredible ordinance in Numbers 19 about the uh, the state of impurity, which is a terrible d- way of defining the Hebrew concept of tumah, because it's not a physical impurity, it's not a it's not a um, a dirtiness, it's a spiritual imbalance that yeah. that comes about when a, when a person is exposed to death because of, and I've spoken about this for so many years and so many teachings, the idea something that is death, missing that death, that death represents a certain kind of falsehood. Really. It's, yeah. it's a falsehood because it is an illusion because the soul lives forever, but it plunges us into a certain kind of void of existential angst. And that is the impurity itself because it's a falsehood because it, it makes us think that, it makes us it makes us feel very distant from Hashem. Yeah. In any event, the the idea is that the the whole concept of the process of purification through the red heifer is again, like as we say, the personification, the, the embodiment, the epitome of the chok, the law which is beyond human understanding. And so is kashrut, and the idea that there are certain uh, animals that are we are permitted to eat, and certain animals that are we are not permitted to eat. There are certain animals that whose whose carcass even renders impurity so right. they're not only they're not only unclean but th- these are the ones that the torah calls an abomination and all of this is on the level of chok as well even though there are many many rationalizations and 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 so too when by the way when it comes to the whole concept of of, stu- of torah study it comes to the depth of Torah study. And here, like we're talking about the Paraduma, the red heifer, there are layer upon layer upon layer of meaning that we do understand and that, and that, and that has been given over to us that has been expounded upon by the sages, why it's red and what it represents and why it can't have a yoke on it and a certain age. And, and it's all representative of very beautiful ideas. And that's all classic and not only permitted, but a, a mitzvah to expound upon. But the, the, but the issue is that when, we, that when we get to all of these points, we still have to say to ourselves, even so, this is not the reason. Yes, this is my part of it that Hashem allows me to understand, but this is not the true reason. So too, when it comes to the kosher dietary laws, yes, health science and medicine and everything that we know now about nutrition has shown us unequivocally that certain foods uh, are not worthy of being called foods and that uh, shellfish and other bottom feeders are, are very, very unhealthy, that pork is very, very unhealthy and uh, birds of prey also are very, very unhealthy. But that doesn't mean that that's why Hashem commanded it because that isn't why Hashem commanded it. Hashem right. commanded it because it is a spiritual regime. It is a, it is a diet for the soul and not surprisingly, it has also material or physical uh, benefits or or um, um, significance, but that's not the reason. Hashem didn't command it to us because it's healthier. Hashem commanded it to us. In fact, there's even the, the famous statement of our sages that a person is not supposed to walk by like a place that's not kosher and, and feign F-E-I-G-N, disgust and say, oh, uh, how terrible, it's not kosher. No, you're supposed to say, well, that smells delicious, but what could I do? Hashem commanded it. Hashem, the king, commanded me. Right. It's not about me, or it's, it, I, and, and it's not like you don't have to act and say like, oh, I don't, I don't even desire it. No, say that you do desire it, but you will be loyal to Hashem's command. People may wonder what I was speaking about just a moment ago. I was speaking of verses 46 and 47 of the Parsha. It wraps up the Parsha. And it is so much in the spirit of what you always say when we talk about the offerings that is so important for people to remember 
And that is, is that, that one of the other uh, important components of the entire system of Corbinote and offerings and, and the, the Ola, that there is a separation between, hush, between, between man and the rest of creation. And may I read those two verses, or is it too early? Please, to, please. You know, please, and this is after we're reading about all of these offerings, all the korbanot and the olah. These are the instructions concerning animals, birds, all living creatures that move in the water, and all the creatures that swarm on the earth for distinguishing between the, and the English says here, impure and pure, between the living things that may be eaten and the living things that may not be eaten. I've only recently begun to take hold of the idea of why the separation is, is so necessary, because if we don't, then one of the things that happens, the fallout from that is we start worshiping creation. We start worshiping trees and, and birds. The list goes on and on. That's what ha- happens when we don't make that distinction. Part of the, of the, of the intricacy of the dynamic of, of, of the temple service in terms of the offerings is that, and, and I, you know, I, I've been teaching this for, for a very long time, the idea that a person gets very bogged down in this world. A person gets um, confused you know, mm-hmm. and, and we, because of the fact that we have so much in common with the animal world, because we have an animal soul, which is the, this, the material darker side of ourselves that we have, we have a gravitational pull towards the, towards the physical, towards the earth. And it is instinctual. And it is the, it is, it is literally the same force that, that keeps an animal alive. The difference is that we are also endowed with a godly soul. Amen. But because of the fact that we walk a tightrope, our entire existence as human beings between, between uh, making a choice between, between right and wrong, between good and evil, because, and you shall choose life because that's the whole point of human existence is that Hashem tests us all the time to make a choice, to make hopefully the right choice. Because of the fact that we're constantly being pulled uh, apart, really, between these two opposing direction, directions, sometimes we fall into a certain kind of abyss of confusion, of, of being mixed up. And part of the process of the offering on the altar that we bring is the realignment of yeah. our natural. Uh, it, it's 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 getting back to the correct perspective and proportion, wherein the godly soul rises up from the from the sediment of of where it was, uh, where it was bogged down in the animal soul. It's a sifting. It's a separation, and. Uh, it's definitely still needed. And in fact, for, you know, when people talk about how, oh, we certainly we've evolved since the days of the temple, we're not going to be bringing offerings again. And that, you know, it's so, it's so difficult. That's why, again, I say it's called the Leviticus challenge because there are a lot of people that want, that believe in Hashem and that they're, and they're good people and they're completely committed to the Torah. But when it comes to this whole idea of the offerings, they have a real problem. They can't deal with it. And so they, have made up a lot of rationalization about how it used to go like that, but it doesn't go like that anymore. It's not, it's not going to be in the future. And doesn't this one say that? And doesn't that one say that? And aren't there rabbis who agree? No, not really. And the fact is that um, I can easily and with confidence and truthfully say that if ever we needed some sort of uh, powerful uh, experience and spiritual device 
to separate us from the animals, it's now. Things are not better, they're worse. And so, and so don't think for a moment that we have somehow mastered ourselves and graduated above these uh, primal pulls and that somehow we have now become uh, worthy of the name of man. One slight glance at the world can remind us that we still have quite a, a ways to go in terms of what it really means to be a human being that was created in Hashem's image. Yeah. And no. that's why, that's one reason why the Holy Temple is it, it emphasized to us by all the prophets that it is the place of peace. And it is the place that brings peace to the world, not just because the nations are protecting it and because it brings good to the nation, it brings blessings, but because even on an individual level, the world is made up of individuals. The world is a mosaic of individuals. And when every person is working towards reinstating their godly soul and rising to their fullest potential as human beings, then that has an effect on all of the world. Yeah. It's to remind humanity of their place in the universe. And we all love nature and we should, and we should take care. We're supposed to dress the garden and keep it. But there are people that say that, uh, you know, th th it was the idea that was expounded in this, this terrible movie called Noah of all movies with Russell Crowe. And the idea was that we're a blight on the planet. And people hold that idea today. There is a whole political movement that says that we're the problem. And, it, you know, the earth would be, just be better off without yes, us. And that we, the best thing that we could do for the earth is just to uh, extinct, become yeah. extinct. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll point to them and say, why don't you step up and be the first? Right. I'll gladly let moving, you take that role. Moving right along, Jim, at a very <laughs> rapid pace. Let's talk about the main um, um, aspects of our of our Parsha, really, uh, and the timing of it, which uh, so much needs to be understood. First of all, this Shabbat, as I mentioned, which is the 23rd of Adar, is Parshat Para, the Sabbath of the Red Heifer, but because it is the 23rd of Adar, that means, yes, that it is our, our 42nd wedding anniversary. Oh, but besides that, that means that it is the first day of the seven-day period of the inauguration of the tabernacle, right. which climaxes on the eighth day, which is exactly how our Torah portion opens in chapter 9 and verse 1. It was on the eighth day. So there was a seven-day um period of inaugurating the tabernacle, which began, actually, it's this Shabbat, the 23rd of Adar, and this Shabbat also happens to be Parshat Shmini, and the climax of it was on the eighth day, and it was on the eighth day that the um, final uh, culminating uh, ceremony of the, of the dedication of the tabernacle took place, and that was, of course, what was the eighth day then? The eighth day is Rosh Chodesh Nisan, which is coming up also next week, and that was a great day. Uh, the new moon of Nisan is the most, is certainly, let me even say, one, one of the most significant days on the Hebrew calendar. And first of all, as far as, as, far as the, the device of the introduction of time into the world is concerned, Rosh Chodesh Nisan is the first day. And that's what we read about in Exodus 12. This month shall be for you the first of all the months. That is talking about this very day that, that we're being that's being described to us here in 9-1. The eighth day is the new moon of Nisan. And it was a very significant day because it is the day that the tabernacle was established. And therefore, it was the day that Hashem 
was welcomed back into the world, as it were, that his presence rested in the world, which of course was his goal in, in creation. And then as he stated back in Exodus uh, 25, you shall make for me a sanctuary. Hashem wanted to have a place in this world. So it was, it was such an incredible day. It was unprecedented. This day that we're reading about here in Parshat Shmini, and it was on the eighth day. It was epic. It was epic. It was the first day of the offerings and the first day of, of the Kohanim wearing their sacred garments and, and blessing the people with a priestly blessing. And it was the day that fire descended upon the altar from heaven. And so it was incredible joy because it was such an unbelievable experience to see the reality of the divine presence dwelling in the midst of the children of Israel. And then what happened, of course, is we read about the um, offering of the two sons of Aaron, Nadav and Avihu, that was not commanded. Right. And they were, they were great men. They were holy men. They were inspired. And they were um, just so caught up. I mean, I mean, we could not do this justice in one podcast because there is so many levels of meaning to this, this narrative. And, and by the way, there's only two um, incidents that are altogether recorded in the entire book of Vayikra. There are only two incidents, as it were, that are reported like a, like a story. In the entire book of Vayikra, this is one of them. The other is the blasphemer. Mm. Other than that, the entire Sefer Vayikra is is um, uh, on a different level. Um, but here we have this, 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 um, this uh, terrible incident, and it's a difficult death for us to understand, you know, that Hashem struck them down. And again, a, a lot has been written about their motivation and a lot, about, a lot about, you know, what was really going on there and who they are as individuals. But the bottom line that we can understand is that they were very moved by the ecstasy of the moment. And they wanted to add they wanted to add their own contribution, you know, and uh, and um, it's very very easy to pass judgment on on them and say that you know uh, obviously you know they made a terrible mistake and why did they do that? But we weren't there, and uh, apparently the the feeling of closeness to God was so strong, and they wanted to keep it up forever, to keep it constant, right? They never they never wanted it to end really. And I think that that is the key to understanding the whole, the whole Torah portion. And that is um, on many levels, the connection between this, this part of the, of the Parsha, the, the untimely death of Nadav and Avihu. And for some reason, the introduction right here by Hashem of all places, of all of these laws of the dietary, uh, the, all of these uh, details of the dietary laws, why now? Why now were the, were the Kohanim given these instructions of separation? So, you know, like on the one hand, the idea is we were talking about information. We were talking about things that we can't know. And again, Kashrut is, is something that we, we really can't totally fathom the, the reason for it. I know there's a difference between doing something for Hashem because he commanded it and doing something for Hashem because I want to, because it makes sense to me, because, because it's about me really, because I want to feel that I'm having a spiritual experience. And so that's, that's kind of part of it, you know, that because, because the, the definition of, a true life lived for Hashem, if you want to call it a spiritual experience or a religious experience in the eyes of Torah is simply to do as Hashem commands. And, and that's what we should be seeing stars from. That's what we should be feeling ecstasy from. Not some unusual kind of like um, 
you know, powerful transcendental moment of bliss where we, the sky opens up and we see things that we've never seen before and we perceive the true essence of God. No, we're human beings and living in this world and withstanding the temptation to eat something that might appeal to us. But Hashem said, no, no, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. That's what it means to be a good Jew. That's what it means to be standing up for Hashem's honor. And, 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 and um, it's a major, major point of, of, of discussion and understanding in, you know, the whole concept of what a, a true religious experience is. And that's why I don't even ever like to use the word religion when it comes to Torah, when it comes to Judaism. I don't like to use that word besides the fact that, as you and I both agree, the Jews are not a religion, but a people who have yeah. a way of life. Yeah. But besides that... The problem with the word religion, which first of all is in most cases man-made, except in the case of, of, of Torah, because it's the only religion, air quotes, that is, was not man-made, right? But that was brought by Hashem. The thing is, when you're talking religion, people immediately go into this mode of a certain kind of ritual, a certain kind of, you know, um, practice at a certain time and do this and do that. And, 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 it's, and it's this kind of thing. And that's not really what a Torah life is. Yes, there are rules. There definitely are rules of how Hashem wants things done. Wants things done. But the point is, everything becomes a religious experience. Everything becomes a spiritual experience. Everything, everything, everything. Every every menial task that a person has to do for, to make a living, when it comes to doing that, in order to be able to provide for oneself, and in order and in order to find Hashem in it, as it were. It, it's so it becomes so all-encompassing. It's a completely different way of looking at things. It's a it's a reality. It's living a life of holiness, yeah. and that's what Nadav and Avi, who you know, that's the the whole point in my mind of why the laws of Kashrut follow the untimely death of, of Nadav and Avi is because it's as if their um, mistake was that okay, they felt this unbelievable feeling of closeness to Hashem. They never wanted the moment to end. And so they had this enthusiasm, but it was misplaced because, because they brought something that was not commanded. And the truth is that living a life of holiness, what it requires is, is, is really what God asks of, asks of us is to follow his instructions with humility and faith. And, and that's it. That's what it means to be holy. That's what it means to be holy. This reminds me of the Rambam, one of my favorite uh, sayings of the Rambam. And he talks about, the the best path through life is the middle path and that is where you you balance the uh the religious uh experience he put us here in the material world to elevate the experience in every manner that you just spoke of and not to be caught up in a kind of hysteria i was having a conversation with a friend about the opposite expression by aaron is shown as this person who is who is uh, so loving and so kind and so thoughtful and is not given to what we would call emotional outbursts. It's absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing that he that this tremendous tragedy befalls him on the very day of the dedication of the tabernacle, which is like the apex of not only of his career, but of uh, but of the life of his beloved people. He's so dedicated to his people, right? What is it? What is it saying? Okay, I be like the student, the students of Aaron, love peace, pursue peace, bring them close to Torah. His whole life, his whole life was about bringing people together, living for the people. 
And so this terrible tragedy um, um, happens, you know, that fire from heaven strikes them, consumes them, and his response is silence. Right, right. Right, we read in chapter 10 and verse 3, Moshe said to Aaron, of this did Hashem speak, saying, I will be sanctified through those who are nearest to me, thus I will be honored before the entire people. And Aaron was silent. And uh, I think that this teaches us a tremendous amount about coping with uh, the challenge of death, because... You know, when we read that he was silent, you know, um, well, that that could mean a lot of things uh, in different circumstances. You know, um, uh, a person might uh, be silent in the face of tragedy for a, n- a number of reasons. It might be an inability to process what's going on. It might be d- disbelief and shock and anger, or despair, any combination thereof. But that's not Aaron's silence. Aaron's silence was not despair or disbelief or anger or shock. It was um, a silence of acceptance and admission, nullification to Hashem's will, right? And that's the idea that the verse tells us. The, the wording of the verse is extraordinary. It says, he was silent from his mourning. Mm-hmm. And that means that he didn't express mourning. He didn't cry. It doesn't mean that he wasn't torn up inside. It means that um, he understood that he was not an ordinary person. So he, so, so even though normally a person would be expected to mourn over the death of a close relative, but he was given the responsibility of, of ministering to the entire nation. And so he right. understood, he understood that he, he basically uh, had to refrain from, from such mourning practices and the, and, and the, and in this particular case the morning was given over to the entire nation of israel kind of yeah. in, pro- in proxy in yeah. place of, of the family we learn from him that that um there is a, a level of of um silence which is more articulate than a spoken word and if you open up your heart in the deepest way actually you can see a tremendously tight connection between aaron's response to this terrible, devastating loss, and the and the parshat para, and it being the Sabbath of the red heifer, yeah. and I'll tell you why, because because what happens here is that, uh, you know, the the red heifer it's it speaks to death, right? It speaks to purification from death, and as we always emphasize, the whole concept of why death in the Torah is considered to be a source of impurity. Why a human corpse is considered to be a source of, again, I hate to use that word, and I'm just using this for lack of a better English translation, tuma is not impurity as much as it is a spiritual imbalance. But the idea is uh, there's a vacuum that's been created. And when someone loses a loved one, God forbid, it's like the whole world is dead. It's It's like life has lost meaning. And that is an illusion. That that is precisely the illusion. It is it is the it is a, a condition of being a human being that we look at things that way at the death of the body, but yet a fundamental, pivotal foundation of our faith is that the soul is eternal mm-hmm. and and goes on to a totally different state of reality. And thus death indeed is an illusion. And the truth is that Aaron's silence actually is because he saw through the illusion. He saw through the falsehood and he understood that there was no, uh, you know, no 
true mourning here, as it were, in the face of, of what he owes the people in terms of continuing as the, as the Kohen Gadol, because he understood that this is from Hashem. Everything goes back to Hashem and, and everything takes on a, 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 new, a new state in Hashem's presence. I'm picturing this moment of, of this uh, great loss, literally, of these two sons and this entire week of, of this establishing the, the Kohanim and the high priests and the initiation of the tabernacle and what this must have been like to witness. And for, for someone like Aaron, who was, you know, so was the model of humility and knowing that all of these things are being put on his shoulders and the responsibility, and then the wrap all that up with knowing that, that, they literally could could you know for I can't express this in any way that they can literally almost reach out and touch Hashem. The presence must have been overwhelming, and the the um, especially for those involved in all of this initiation. And I have to bring up something very interesting called epigenetics that I've been reading about lately. It's the study of genes and the units of a person's genetic code made from DNA. And the traits that they influence. Uh, epigenetics focuses on physical changes that affect how the genes are expressed. Now, what's it got to do with Aaron? Well, the, the fact is that Aaron was the first Kohen Gadol. And what do some modern day members of, uh, that come from that are descended? We know that they descend from, from this heritage because of what, Rabbi? Because of their DNA. Their DNA which has a gene marker called the Cohen modal haplotype. Right, which what's is peculiarly, peculiarly unique, idiosyncratically unique to only male descendants of Aaron all over the world from a variety of countries and cultures and colors. Whoever is a descendant of Aaron uh, has that uh, yeah. haplotype? haplotype. Haplotype. It's a gene marker. In fact, this is what's so fascinating about it. And I know I brought this up before, but I, I can't help myself just picturing this whole panorama of holiness and tragedy and the whole thing mixed up together and what Aaron must have been experiencing. And the reason I bring up epigenetics is because it talks about how uh, our experiences, uh, dramatic experiences, good or bad, are actually encoded in our genes. And the reason I bring this up is because this gene marker, that it was not always in the DNA of that family. Time. It's a mutation. And geneticists discovered that they could calculate when this mutation, this gene marker, was introduced Anyway, they tracked the mutation back, and they said that it was created uh, just over 3,000 years ago. And, of course, as we know, the, the Torah was given just over 3,000 years ago, 3,300 and, and some change. So at the very time of the giving of the Torah, and, the, and then the second year at Sinai, the Mishkan was built, and the priesthood was uh, initiated. And so Aaron responded to this dramatic overwhelming experience so and are you this, trying to say kind of like that it was like maybe the death of nadav and avihu that scarred its way into no, the dna of, of Aaron? Not, no not just that all of it 
the entire week of experience okay. of the invocation and and being and, and Aaron would never say it this way, but crowned, if you will, in the role of the Kohen Gadol, and and just being there in the Mishkan and with Hashem, the the with the the Shekinah finally hovering. I mean, who could the feeling of the divine presence just overwhelmed Aaron, and so I'm saying, in essence, maybe. That was why he was silence. He was just so very overwhelmed that yes, yes, this too happened, and and it is that everything is Hashem's will. I, I want to before we close, I want to I want to suggest also one more level of um, connection between uh, these two major themes in our parsha of the death of Nadav and Avihu and and the Kashrut dietary laws, because I think that. Uh, oftentimes we find a thread that connects many ideas in Torah, and the thread is the emphasis on kavana. Kavana, as you know, means intention. Everything that we do really needs uh, intention. You know, you know the actual word kavana in Hebrew. Like when we talk about kavana when we pray, it means to aim, because we have we. It also means direction, like how to direct something. We, we, because we have to have proper kavana when we pray. It means presence of mind, intention. But literally, the same is true for everything that we do in life. We always have to live with a mindfulness, and everything that we do, we want it to bring us closer to Hashem. We have to have kavana, uh, intention, pure intention, and. Um, that is what Nadav and Avihu really sought to do. They sought to bring an offering, to bring them closer to Hashem, but their kavanah was off. It was yeah. off because, because they really needed to focus on what Hashem commanded them. But even the things that we do that are basic, like eating, which seems actually trivial or something that is practically mindless, I think that here Torah is connecting these two these two portions and showing us that eating is something that we really have to be very, very mindful of because everything that we eat affects our soul. And so when we, we want to eat properly because it's, it's also like bringing an offering in the temple, we have to be conscious about what we're doing. Everything that we're doing has to be accompanied by thought and understanding and, and kavana so that we are literally doing our best to live for Hashem at every moment. Yeah. That's what that's what the inauguration of the tabernacle was all about and, and the concept of bringing the divine presence into the world. That's what the month of Nisan that's coming up is all about. That certainly is another thing that we learned from Purim. And it all comes together, really, the idea that every aspect of our lives, whether the United States ambassador to Israel agrees or not, whether it infuriates him or not, every aspect of our lives is for Hashem, by Hashem, with Hashem, and it is Hashem's idea that we live in the land of Israel. So if that means that he's infuriated by the God of Israel, so be it. He's not the first person. Haman was also infuriated by the God of Israel, but here we are. This is where we'll stay. This is where we'll build. This is where hopefully we'll act like real Jews. And... Um, I would say my apologies to the ambassador, but no, I don't. I don't apologize because Mordechai didn't didn't bend over. So here we are, headstrong. And uh, what can I tell you? Can I ask one last question before we wrap it up? I never think of the episode of Nadav and Avihu. I never think of that as God killing them. 
I liken it to God, uh, to something as simple as God saying, of, you know, there is a busy street there full of traffic. And if you, if you cross the street at the wrong time and you don't look where you're going, of course, I want you to get to the other side. But if you step into busy traffic, you, you, you're likely going to get run over. And it's, it's almost to me that same aspect that they, they were, they were, they had stepped to a place where they, where anybody who had done that, the same thing would have happened to them. It would be inevitable. It would be inevitable. It's like sticking your finger in a wall socket. So you the know, verse is the ver the verse does not say that Hashem killed them. By the way, the right? Exactly. A, fi a fire came from before Hashem. And I, I think a fire came forth from before Hashem does not mean that that, that Hashem directly killed them. It right. meant it it means as I think as you're saying that this is the this is the equation because there is a balance, there is a karma, there is a certain kind of order to the universe. And the fire went, went forth because this, is, this was not in the program. It's, it's like walking into a, you know, a, a, a unit where there is radiation materials being handed, handled and they decide, oh, I don't need a suit. I know how to handle this stuff. And you know, it's the idea of not tempting Hashem in a way. And and I they they being caught up in the moment, it was you know what it was. If you want to really be uh, understand it on 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 I think uh, the deepest and, mo and most beautiful level, it was too much light. Mm -hmm. They were blinded yeah. by the light. It was too. It was it they were, it was it was too close. It was too right. close to Hashem. Is what yeah. is where it was taking them. And and I think that's what's the key to understanding that when when Aaron realized that those who are the closest to me will be, uh, will be sanctified by, you know, in the idea that I expect more of Israel because you're my firstborn, because you've been given, you know, the Torah, you've been given the secrets of the universe. And I don't need any other word to put it indelicately. You should know better, you know, in a way, is, is that, a, I mean, is that too indelicate? Well, by, by, by saying, you know, I will be sanctified by those that are closest to me is it is a tremendous testimony that Hashem is making to the tremendous level of Nadav and Aviv. They weren't juvenile delinquents. They were so holy. They were so high. And right. Hashem chose to sanctify His name through them, meaning to teach this lesson to the people that, that it's important to know how to seize the moment and, yeah. and how to live for Hashem. Amen. Amen. Yeah. May, may we truly merit to be able to, to navigate through the balancing act of this world, to bring Hashem into our lives, to bring the light of Hashem into the world, and to constantly be able to be, to be honest and focused and centered on our service of Hashem so that we don't just talk about it, but we walk the walk and we are able through listening to, to what He asks of us to have those moments of, of um rarefied experience and uh, uplifting inspiration just by knowing that we are truly endeavoring to live every every moment for Hashem. Amen. Amen.